Spurs playoff chances. They are over there kaput. Uh, and we are here live to talk about it. Uh, I'm Tom Petrini. That's Evan Klosky. Um, and yeah, so if, if you're watching this now in, inconsequential Spurs game, you see a starting lineup with uh, DeJounte and then uh, Keldon Johnson and Luka Shamanich are in there. So uh, Spurs, I guess, got the news before tip. Game didn't mean anything. And uh, they're leaning all the way now into uh the the development and and uh, uh we saw lucas shamanich get his first nba points so huzzah big <laughs> moment for tall luca right go tall luca proud of him um he, he need he needed to get get some points and i think that might that might spark something yeah he he needed that um and i'm, I'm glad to get to see him play in this game at least uh which I don't know about you, but I have up in the corner of my screen. Uh, but let's let's talk about it, man. Uh, Spurs' record playoff streak is now over, um, and it is a record, by the way. It's not like if they uh, didn't make it this year, they wouldn't have the record. It is an NBA record: mm-hmm. twenty-two consecutive years in the playoffs. Unfathomable when you when you think about it, when you try to put it into context. Uh, me personally, I was uh, in diapers watching Baby Einstein videos at that <laughs> point in time in 1997. Uh, so might I might have know. been might have been into Hey Arnold. Uh, was was SpongeBob still a thing? I might have been. That might have been a few more years till SpongeBob. So yeah, what uh, did we do in that I don't, time? I don't know, man. I. I Honestly, can't remember I'm going to Google that right now because I know SpongeBob <laughs> has had an insanely long run, and uh, it's a good thing to compare to this Spurs run because, like, what are other cultural institutions that have been around for 22 years? Yeah, uh, the I Simpsons mean, comes to mind. Something uh, like that. Uh, B- Big Brothers entering season 22 or 23, I think, right now as well. Survivor is like on season 30, I believe. So SpongeBob uh, premiered in 1999. Uh, so the Spurs playoff streak <laughs> is older than SpongeBob. Uh, Confirmed. Yeah, we, we've got pre-SpongeBob and post-SpongeBob. Oh, we got Dance uh, with the Stars. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's that's probably another one. Uh, I don't even know. If Dan- I don't think Dancing with the Stars. That you know what? As far as seasons go, they're able to bang out two in a year, so they kind of cheat right. a little bit. But you guys, yeah, definitely get in the comments there. Tell us uh, things as old as the playoffs, the Spurs playoff streaks. Want to see what you guys have to say there. Uh, definitely a, a heavy day, though, in San Antonio. Uh, this yeah. is something that, you know, we've known for months now that this is a, a very real possibility, even with the opportunity that they had here in this bubble. Uh, and they played very, very well in the bubble. Uh it just has wound up not being enough uh, to to get them into the playoffs after a season that was probably the the worst season that they've had since uh, nineteen ninety seven. Yeah, you know, um, this was something I think every Spurs fan was prepared for, but the fact that it's official now, it sort of just sinks in, and it's like, wow, yeah. like you know, it is finally. Is finally over. I mean, here in San Antonio, 
uh, Spurs playoffs and Fiesta run together. So maybe it's only fitting uh, for the year that Fiesta doesn't happen is we don't have a Spurs playoffs run to go along with it because that would have been extremely weird. Um, But beyond that, um, you know, just it's a, it's, it's a weird thing to kind of soak in there, but so many amazing moments flood into your mind when you think back in the Spurs history. I'm seeing a bunch of uh, people on Twitter kind of voice their favorite memories. Uh, someone brought up, um, you know, a game that they watched with their, their dad and, and their siblings. And, you know, you have those personal moments. You can think back to the Memorial Day miracle. You can think back to the entire 2014 season um, we can think back to the spectacular Detroit Pistons playoff series and, and the seven games that just, I mean, when defense was a thing. So, um, you know, you, all those moments kind of flood into your, into your mind. And, and, you know, Greg Popovich right there for all of it. Uh, the 170 wins in the playoffs, those are the same amount that Pop has in his career. Obviously, the, the playoff run and Popovich run side by side. Um, and then uh, some other numbers, just uh, seven game sevens. Uh, the Spurs were three and four in those. And most recently took a couple of L's when you think back to the Nuggets and the Clippers. Um, you know, overall, a 170 and 114 record. They were bounced out of the first round only six times. So at a 22-year playoff streak, just six times, did the Spurs not advance to the conference semifinals? Uh, then they were bounced uh, six times out of the conference semifinals. They were in the conference finals a total of nine times, eliminated three times from the conference finals, uh, of course, made six NBA finals, and were five and one in the NBA finals with five glorious championships towards the city of San Antonio. So, um, it's, it's mind-boggling when you put all those numbers together and what they accomplished. And it's, yeah, it's, it's just weird to talk about. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's, uh, it's something that has been a, a reality as uh, reliable as death and taxes for the last <laughs> two decades uh, in the NBA that you would see the Spurs in the playoffs. Um, and... Uh, We'll, we'll do a little game here, guys. Uh, the Spurs do not have sole possession of the record NBA playoff streak. It is They are tied with one other team uh, at 22 years. If you can name the two names of that team in the comments, both names, uh, without peeking at the article that we put out today, uh, I'll be impressed. Uh, and... As you can as you can guess by that, the streak lasted from 1950 to 1971. Uh, so I would argue that 22 straight years in the uh, playoffs in this century is slightly more impressive. Uh, it was it was the the Philadelphia 76ers who were previously the Syracuse Nationals. Anytime mm-hmm. you bring up the Syracuse Nationals and Wilt Chamberlain. I stop caring about records. Uh, <laughs> that's just my personal thoughts on that. Uh, I mean, you, you can't compare them. It's like, it's like a, a Model T versus any car made today. Um, 
you know, it's completely different. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I don't know. What, what were your thoughts? I, I think just watching today, I was, I was hoping to see some sort of, like, hope that Memphis and Phoenix would have some sort of fight, like, in their games. But Dallas and Milwaukee really just – at least Milwaukee made it to halftime down 10. So there was, like, okay, maybe this could be a game. But, I mean, it was just pretty pathetic efforts all around. Like, man – you're not even going to try. You're not even going to try. It was it was tough to watch with any semblance of hope. I was, I'm sitting there. I've got the two screens up, and I'm like, listen, I've seen teams blow 20-point leads in the last five minutes. I've seen yeah. that happen. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people who, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to start writing that Spurs playoff streak ends story until it actually happens. I got yeah. like 10 minutes on it today. Just because mm-hmm. it was it was so uh, so obvious that it was going to happen, um, but uh, I I saw I saw somebody in the comments ask what we're drinking. Get get your favorite cup from the AT and T Center. Put something in it. I'm drinking Earth Juice right now. That's sweet <laughs> sweet water. Uh, but whatever you guys uh, do at home is your uh, business. Probably uh, probably a nice IPA and uh, you know maybe a Truly tonight. We'll see what happens. Ooh. We'll see where the night takes us. I had a I had a thing where Jess and I went to the to the water the other day and I got a truly and she got a beer and the the cashier asked us which was for who and I was like I'm getting the truly because we're going to be out on the water and I would rather have a warm seltzer than a warm I, beer. I will so, uh, I'll say it. Trulys are absolutely delicious. They are yeah. they're refreshing uh, and on a, on a warm summer day, especially in the city of San Antonio, just my preference in the summer. I'll I'll right. say it. The Big Fun Pod, unofficially sponsored by, we'll we'll figure that out later. Um, but we'll, we'll make we'll make a battle between we, Truly we and White Claw. Whoever hooks us up, we we digress. Whatever you guys are doing to dull the pain of this loss, uh, we're we're all we're all together in this shared experience, and I'm glad to be hanging out with all of you. Uh, with this season now pretty much officially done for San Antonio, we'll see what happens in this last game here, and uh, we'll we'll cut into this with any. Uh, updates that are, mm-hmm. that are necessary for you guys. Um, but with this season pretty much done, I think we can start talking about post-mortem yeah. and uh, what happened, not just in the bubble, but in this season overall. Yes. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm ready for that conversation if you are. Yeah, uh, ab- so- absolutely. Um, and, and I'll just jump right into it because I think there is going to be a very fair criticism on not altering lineups um, during the regular season. I see a lot of things like, okay, well, the Spurs should have handed the keys to the car to Lonnie Murray, Walk, you know, White and Keldon and all these things. Um, and I understand that because we're in the bubble and you're, you're taking a look at, at some, some finished products throughout a year of, of workout. I'm still a, a firm believer in the Spurs developmental system starting in Austin and making sure players are, are okay and, and are getting adjusted to the game fairly and not getting thrusted into roles where there's a lot of pressure on them right out of the gates. Um, so, you know, I, I think that Keldon probably deserved to come up sooner than he did. Uh, but to, to act like Keldon should have been there day one, 
I don't, I don't believe in that sort of thinking because I believe the development down in the G League and what they do there um, matters. And I think that's what makes the Spurs the Spurs. And, you know, so, um, but I, I do agree that I think the lack of creativity in the starting lineups, um, especially leaving Bryn out there starting all the time. And, you know, we, that's not to, to bash on Bryn like, like fans will, but Bryn is, is in that starting lineup and what, you know, DeMar and LaMarcus and, and you had either, you know, DJ, you had DJ or Derek, you didn't have both. Uh, it was just, Bryn just didn't fit into that mold, especially defensively. And I think, um, you know, Bryn, Bryn just a, a one-dimensional player, as you mentioned, who has a role probably in, uh, you know, coming off the bench and against certain matchups. And uh, I, I really do wonder if our opinions of Bryn would be framed a bit differently if he started the season off the way he was kind of finishing the, re- the regular season, because if we do remember, he did get his three-point percentage pretty much all the way back up to what it was la- the previous season. Uh, but he just started off so horrendously that it framed our minds into like, wow, Bryn needs to get off the court. Um, but um, I will say just my, my number one overall take is I do think it is fair criticism to say that they did not play DeJounte and Derek uh, together uh, after the first, you know, whatever the first month or two, whatever you wanted to adjust DeJounte into his, uh, you know, after his torn ACL and everything. But um, not tinkering that starting lineup is something that is going to be a regret of San Antonio's this season, I think. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And I, I think that, you know, I, I know that there, there are 50 people hanging out in here right now. And of those 50, uh, if I know them the way I think I do, um, I'm, I'm sure you guys have had some lineup suggestions that in this bubble, you've seen Pop implement. Um, you know, and I've been working my sources and trying to figure out if he made a burner account and you know, <laughs> came on here and just caught up on Spurs Twitter for, from like November. Um, but yeah, uh, it's the, you could almost argue that there's been addition by subtraction here in the bubble uh, with Bryn and Patty not playing. And, um, you know, obviously, Patty, you have the, the leadership. Bo- Patty, you have the leadership. Both of them, you have the outside shooting. Um, but they don't bring too much else in, the, in terms of basketball, um, in, terms, in terms of winning, in terms of versatility. Um, and in, in that regard, I think Patty is, is the superior player. Yeah, um, and, by the, and, and just to interject quickly uh, before you go into your next point, Patty, I think, was um, one of the like, – his play this season and the, and the metrics, if you were to look uh, at any of those sort of things, Patty's play was tremendous. And what he did in that second unit and whenever he was on the court, uh, he was an unsung hero. And it looks like Quindary Weatherspoon is hurt in this game against the Jazz. Yeah, he's uh, limping. I, he, um, he was driving, and it looks like he twisted his knee. Yeah. So Kunderi is coming off the court hobbling, and I'm assuming that is going to be the last we see of Quindary, uh today. There's no yeah. point in reason. Um, but yeah, so Patty Mills certainly still has value, totally. Absolutely agree. Um, and, you know, the, the, thing, the thing with – 
Patty taking a back seat in this bubble was like, I mean, such a selfless understanding thing. He's, he's said multiple times, like we understand that this is a development period. Even when the game, the, the race got close, uh, you know, it was like, okay, now the guys can play in crunch time. Um, and the, the thing is with when, when you take those guys out of the rotation and then you have to fill those guard spots with Derek White, DeJounte, Lonnie. Um, you, you mentioned it when we recorded the last podcast together. Uh, the Spurs look way better on defense when DeMar DeRozan is the fifth best defender and not the, you know, the wing Absolutely. stopper. And, and um, we'll, we'll get into the whole uh, should the Spurs, you know, extend DeMar conversation at yeah, some point. That's, that's later in the show. We're, we're getting to that uh, yeah. a little later on. Um, and we'll also but, address, I saw someone comment about LaMarcus Aldridge. We'll also talk about that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there, there's a lot to pour over. Before we talk about what happens next season, we've got to do a full yeah. uh, post-mortem of this season. There will be plenty of time uh, for us to talk about what happens next year. Draft lottery is coming up. Uh, so, and Evan, you said yesterday that, uh, there's going to be one more media availability. Pop's going to talk after this game and then potentially again, one more time. If they do what, uh, they normally do in a typical season, we should get Popovich for, uh, one more press conference at some point next week. That's nothing certain, but if they operate normally and, and how they usually do this, then there should be one more availability with Popovich beyond what we get in the post game. Right. So, so we'll hear from Pop again, and we, we, can, we can talk later about what we should ask Pop, what you guys want us to ask Pop. Um, I, I don't ask all of the questions because sometimes you guys are dumb and sometimes you guys are mean. I love you all. <laughs> but uh, sometimes you give very good suggestions on uh, what we can ask, and, and I actually have used uh, some of those suggestions. So... Drop them in here, uh, and if, if we see some good ones, we might ask them. But, um, Evan, if you don't mind, I would mm-hmm. like to go player by player for the Spurs mm-hmm. for this season, and we can talk about uh, how they did overall, how they did compared to what we expected them to do, uh, and what role we expect for them on the team next year. Does that sound good? Yeah, love it. All right, cool. So I'm just going to go on the NBA's uh, stats website here. Uh, Pull up the players. Oh, do you want to start with Bryn Forbes? He's the guy at the top of the list. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, read him off. All right, let's do it. Bryn Forbes will finish the year. uh, Shot 41.7% from the floor. 38.8% 38.8% from three on six attempts per game. Uh, he graded out as one of, oh, Evan is gone. Evan will be back. Uh, but I'll continue going through the stats here for Bryn Forbes for you good people. Um, he shot 39% on six threes a game. He started how many games? 
He played 63 games. I'm guessing he started all 63 of them. Hey, Evan, you're back. How you doing, buddy? I'm back. So my uh, my screen totally just went when uh turned off but yeah i continue all good we i didn't get much much further as far as defensive stats go michael uh i'll I'll do my best to find them there are some advanced stats that have him as one of the worst defenders in the league yeah off the top of my head advanced metrics will show you he is one of the worst defenders in the league at his role yeah it's it's bad yeah, I don't know what kind of numbers we're going to bring in there, but I have seen some stuff, and it's not pretty. Yeah. Um, so, five thirty-eight has a uh, a rating called Draymond. That's an acronym. Uh, I wonder how uh, hard they had to work to to get that in there. Uh, but. When he's on the court, opponents score uh, 116 points per 100 possessions. Worst mark on the team. Um, and, yeah. Uh, just, okay, here's, here's his Draymond. Uh, said he was the worst on the Spurs and 20th worst in the league. Um, and he's, he's just not a good wing defender. Uh, he's undersized. He is uh, somebody who gets beat, who falls asleep, who uh, doesn't really compete as much on that end of the floor. And, you know, that's the thing with Patty. He's my height, but he fights every single possession on both ends of the floor. And that's something that Bryn has not brought to the team really at all, but especially not in the starting lineup. He's in there to shoot, and that's mm-hmm. pretty much it. Um and I think we've seen in this bubble with Bryn out, which I don't know how much of that is he, he isn't healthy. And I don't know how much of it is, uh, you know, him knowing that he's not going to get much run and, and he just wants to stay fresh for next year. I don't know. Uh, um, yeah, I would argue that. I mean, Pop says he has an injury. I guess is he got an injury. Right. Um, I mean, there was no indication. I mean, with, with that's the thing. At least Pop was, was kind of like, hey, I'm not playing Patty. Um, that's just a me call. Um, right. And if it was, yeah. So I can't imagine they brought well, Bryn there to just kind of, hey, the, man, the reason the that The reason that that's a thought in my head is he, he came to the, to the bubble. He was a little dinged up already, maybe. And then he got a little bit more dinged up. Not to the point where he can't play, but to the point where Pop says to him, like he said to guys in the past, your future's more important than this, so I'm going to hold you out. And, you know, especially if it's not that serious, um, you know, it would, be, it would be better for him to just, you know, be out with an injury for his upcoming yeah. free agency. Yeah. Um, but, so... So what do we think for Bryn Forbes' role for next season? Is he even so, on this team? So, okay. Um, here's a, The thing about Bryn Forbes uh, usually is that in his development, every season he was getting progressively better. Um, right. This year he, he went south a bit. Uh, as you mentioned, he, he took one more three-pointer this season, 
And in doing so, he went from 42.6 beyond the arc to 38.8 beyond the arc. So, uh, I mean, 38.8 is nothing to sneeze about. And I'm pretty sure in one of those late months, you can, you can fact check me, he did shoot around 40 or so percent. Was it in like January or something? January, February? So, I mean, he right. was regressing to the mean positively after a really, really rough start to the season. Uh, as Tall Luca hit a three-pointer, watch out. It's happening. Ooh. Um, but is it too uh, okay, late? So he, do you think? Do you think Silver can see this and say, "Oh, we need it. We need to see this guy in the bubble." <laughs> I um, my, I guess my final take on on Bryn is, I think for cheap, I would bring him back, and I would not use him more than like ten minutes a game, ten to twelve minutes, and that, and I might not even play him. Uh, most nights, you know, or some nights, right. you know, it's just, it's matchup based. I mean, there are some games where you can use him as a perimeter shooter. Like to me, I view him at, again, we're moving to the time where Popovich talked about perimeter players versus thinking of things in a one, a two, a three. And if you're going to make him one of the perimeter players, you need to surround him with good defensive players. Um, right. Which I think my problem is with Bryn is that he's pretty much a, a weaker Patty Mills. So right. it's like you can't, you can't play Bryn and Patty together. So Exactly. So if you're going to do that, uh, that's going to be a problem, which means that you probably need Bryn as a backup for A, an injury to one of your shooters, um, or B, if Patty ever gets in foul trouble, you can put Bryn out there and, and you lose a little bit on de- defense, but you know he can shoot the ball and you're losing nothing offensively from that perspective. I, so, I uh, saw a comment I loved from uh, Mary Jo that said that you know, Bryn is a, a weaker Patty. And also Patty has championship experience and all of that intangible leadership uh, amazingness that makes him Patty Mills. Uh, he, he's one of those guys who should have his jersey retired in the at&t center one day uh bryn forbes i don't think is ever going to be that no and i I don't think like like he's a good enough shooter that he can go to some other team in the league and be like the ninth guy you know the shooter that comes off the bench the jj reddick type guy who shouldn't start because defensively it doesn't work but still can make meaningful contributions to a winning basketball team I just don't think that's the Spurs. Um, yeah. yeah, with how the Spurs look, I, I totally agree with you. And I, I think he does have value for right. uh, a, a lot of teams, um, you know, who, who need that shooter. I mean, uh, you know, essentially, if you were to think about it this year, if you remove, and we'll get to Marco, but if you remove Marco from the equation, uh, you know, Bryn would fill what Marco did this year. And we got to talk about decreasing that specific role, but that's sort of the way that I kind of, I kind of view it. Um, right. So, yeah. and and it's not Bryn's fault that oh, another three for another tall, tall Luca. Luca three. It's, hey, it's Tom, it is What's happening. Up? <laughs> I, I'm crying on the inside, but right now I'm happy because development. Uh, but you know, it's and, it's and not Bryn's quickly, fault. Oh, yeah, I, I just, very quickly, uh, Bryn, and I think what we can argue is a pretty disappointing season, was still a top 53 point shooter in the NBA, you know, percentage wise, that is. Um, yeah. So uh, there, there's something to be said about that. Um, you look at a team like Houston, who, 
you know, he, he certainly doesn't have the ISO um, abilities that I think the Rockets are looking for with their small ball stuff. But if you're looking right. to a team like devoted to three point shooting, he is going to be someone that you might be interested in. The Kings. I mean, like it just it's all a matter well, of how much money he can make in the open market, because for cheap, I want Bryn back on a one year deal. But if he can make some money, then just let him go. Yeah, honest, honestly, I I don't want the Spurs to re-sign Bryn on a deal comparable to what he could attain on the open market, both in terms of money and in terms of role. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think because of that, I'm, I'm fine with him going to some other team. One thing that I, I have seen a lot of watching other teams play in the bubble uh, they're shooting a lot of threes now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of nuts how many threes and how good these guys are at shooting threes. Um, so Bryn Forbes can find a home somewhere in the NBA. Um, you know, I would just prefer that it was not in San Antonio. All right, yeah. moving on. Who should we talk about next? Should we... We shouldn't do all of the starting lineup at, at once. Let's let's go to uh, let's let's go the opposite direction. Fifteenth guy on the bench, Chemezi Metu. Uh, oh. We didn't see much at all from him this year. Uh, he played in seventeen games, averaged under five minutes in those games. Uh, this is his second year in the NBA, or yeah, yeah. Uh, and the Spurs drafted him to be. Uh, a a explosive athlete rim runner uh his game kind of at the nba level will depend on his ability to develop an outside shot um we got tall luca on donovan mitchell and tall luca shut him down that was fun to watch uh (laughs) but but chemezi we really haven't seen too much development from him yeah, I have. Here, yeah, here's my here's my problem with the Spurs is that they kind of have a bunch of players. They, they have they have redundant players, right? So when yeah. I think of Metsu, I think of Eubanks. They're, I mean, yeah. they're just who are they're both just sort of the, the same. same like right when you now, think of when you think of Bryn, you think of Marco and Patty. Like you just like yes, it, it's just like okay, like I'm cool with Metsu and I'm cool with Eubanks, but I don't think having both of them makes any sense, right? And you know, when it comes to them. when it comes to redundant players, you can be redundant on the wings. And teams that are good are redundant on the wings. Look at the Bucks and Correct. the Raptors and the Celtics and any other team that's playing well in the NBA right now is probably loaded up with talent. Uh, you know, between the shooting guard and the and the forward positions. Mm-hmm. Um, but the redundancy becomes an issue when those players have limited skill sets or abilities and it becomes an issue where if you have to get all those guys minutes and time, um, your team isn't going to be operating at peak efficiency because as we've seen in this bubble, you can do way more with five versatile players than you can with pretty much any other combination of players in the NBA. Uh, and I think Eubanks, we can go into him next. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, he's been really some, impressive in the bubble. He has been, uh, and and just some thoughts on Metu, and and I'm gonna have similar thoughts on Eubanks because you know this has always been my thing, and even though um, uh, Metu just missed a three pointer, but 
A, we've seen Metsu shoot from the perimeter in Austin. Haven't really seen it much in San Antonio. Obviously, right. when he's on the court in San Antonio, he's probably the fifth offensive option, which is totally fine. But then defensively speaking, he's supposed to be a rim protector. He's not built like Montrez Harrell. He's not even built like Drew Eubanks. So he's going to get you some blocks here and there. But is he? does he have the ability to really defend the paint the way that he needs to defend the paint? And, and I... I just don't – I don't know that answer. Um, I just don't – I mean, at least with Drew, we're seeing in the bubble that, I mean, he can, he can do his part. I think Drew is a little bit too soft in guarding the perimeter, which is, a, you know, not good in today's basketball game um, in, the, in the modern NBA. So I, I just – I don't know – I don't know how Metu fits the equation. Um, yeah. And I think the Spurs this offseason need to choose between Metu and Eubanks and keep one of them, and the others, the others got to go. I mean, the, I think the Spurs have a team option for next year at $1.6 million. So if they want Metu, it's a pretty simple thing to pick up the option. I just, you know, Metu seemed like he was put in the doghouse at the end of the year, or they just wanted him to develop down in Austin without sniffing the NBA. It's just... A confusing situation. And then um, if we want to just train, do you have any more thoughts on Metu? I mean, I, I think he's definitely an explosive athlete, but I've, I've wanted to see more from him than just that since he was drafted. And he, he has developed that outside game a little bit, um, but for whatever reason, um, you know, he – I'll tell you the reason. In the in the brief time that he got on the floor, he didn't look good um, at the NBA level. And Drew Eubanks is not as explosive an athlete, although he did almost murder that Antetokounmpo brother with a dunk. <laughs> um, but but he's he's not that explosive above the rim uh, athlete that Metu is, but. Um, you know, Drew has kind of been the guy that, despite his size disadvantage, he's still plenty springy. Yeah. Um, Drew he, is a freak athlete, by the way. I mean, he is. He, he's always been, even if you go back to his days at Oregon State. He just, he is. He jumps. I mean, he, he gets, and, you know, we, we can talk about Pirtle soon, but, like, he finishes stronger at the rim than Yak Pirtle, yeah. who has, like, three inches on him. I'm yeah. pretty, I'm I pretty mean, sure Banks, he's only Banks, uh, Pirtle, Pirtle uh, can barely jump over the ace of spades. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you Drew Banks is listed at six foot nine, two forty five. See, and that's my thing, though. Like, think about it: six foot nine. Uh, like, think about all the six nine players who isn't like Ben Simmons, like six eight. Yeah, and like, I mean, just for him, he's a six nine power forward who just. In the modern NBA, I'm confused where that fits in because you have six nine players who shoot threes at such an unbelievable clip. Right, and, exactly. Uh, he, he needs to develop an outside shot for me to yeah, be like, a legitimate just, contributor in, in a NBA rotation. Like you know, a, you want to hear something funny though? Jakob yeah. Hurdle, seven foot one, so that's four inches taller, and allegedly, according to the NBA, the same weight, two forty five. Yeah, that's. I mean, Drew's built like a truck, and he's yeah. he's a freak athlete. He's just. I, you know, I, I I'm cool with I'm cool with bringing back Drew and having him play it. You know, as your third big, 
You know, if, right. if Pirtle and Lamarcus, one of them's inevitable. I mean, Pirtle's going to we got to talk about signing Pirtle again, but you know, right. inevitably speaking, if you do have Pirtle and Lamarcus and Trey, um, you know, someone's going to get in foul trouble there, and Drew might be able to sneak five to eight minutes. And I think that's his role. I think he's someone who can right. bring tons of energy. He'll get a block here and there. I think he can handle his own. I think he needs to do a little bit better uh, on defensive rotations and, and understanding that stuff, which I think in the bubble we're seeing that he has been progressing nicely there. And, um, you know, if I had to choose between Drew and Metu, I'm going Drew. Yeah, I'm with you there. Uh, do you, do you want to tackle Yak right now, or should we go into uh, those other shooters on the bench first? Let, let's, uh, let's stick with Yak. And yeah, then, let's go to Yak. And then, yeah. So Yak and Pirtle. Uh, played in 65 games this year, averaged under 18 minutes, but obviously has been pressed into a bigger role uh, here in the bubble with LaMarcus Aldridge out. Um, I can pull up his bubble numbers in a, in a minute here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but shot 62% from the floor in four attempts. He's not a guy who, who has a, a robust scoring repertoire. He's not going to get you a ton of points. Hurdle uh, is a guy that is um... – the, the stat line's not going to impress you. That's not his value. You right. know? Like, if he gets, right. his, I mean, like, if he gets, like, a, a, I don't know, 12 and, and 10, or, you know, 14 and 12, and um, that might, you know, he, he's supposed to be, like, a low double-double guy. Right. Right. And, yeah. and his offense is going to mainly come on putbacks and rolls. Yeah. Exactly, Mary Jo. Low, low usage, high impact. You got it exactly right. Yeah. Um, and his, his plus minus, uh, was really excellent in the bubble. Well, so his, uh, uh and, and the piggyback off that his offensive rating was 114 his defensive rating was about 109. I mean, he had a net rating of 5.8. Uh, so right. he had a net rating of 5.8 on a team that won what? 33 games. Right. I mean, he's got value. He, he uh, has a positive impact on the court when, when so, he's there. In the bubble in seven games, uh, averaged a shade over 26 minutes a game, eight points per game, uh, 62% from the floor, uh, nine rebounds, two assists, a steal, and a little over a block per game. Uh, and when he was on the, on the floor, average per game, the Spurs outscored their opponents by nine points. Uh, yes, I know he doesn't dunk, and he should. And his entire summer, honestly, should be like a Rocky Four training montage <laughs> of him just like dunking the ball in a barn in Austria somewhere uh, with hearts on fire in the background. Just like put up a, a thing of... of uh, You've really built out this, this image. Yes. This is, this is the drill I want him doing, okay? You take like plywood like karate boards for kids, right? Like balsa wood, maybe, whatever it is. You set it up so it's rigged so that that's in between him and the basket, and he has to go up strong with the ball and jump through it and then dunk the ball. If he just yeah, spends the I whole think... summer doing that, he will come back as Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> I, need, I need an angry streak from him. I do. Yeah. But it, speaking of the bubble, by the way, so I mentioned his, what, his net rating for the season was a 5.8 positively. Mm-hmm. In the bubble, his net rating is a 15.5. Yeah. So 
you know, and again, I mean, the stats aren't anything impressive, but he is, uh, you know, we, we talked about Drew and, and Nezzy, um, you know, uh, you know, when, when Pirtle is on the court, good things happen for the Spurs. And it's because he's a tremendous rim protector. He's wonderful on pick and rolls. Him and Derek White have such an amazing chemistry together. Yeah. They, and they had for quite some time. Uh, I don't know what it is with those two, but they run the pick and roll so beautifully. And uh, he and Demar def- have been playing, running the pick and roll together since Toronto. Toronto. So, yeah. so there's there's a ton of uh, chemistry built up. And with with Derek, a Derek is a fantastic pick and roll player in his own right. But b yeah. they played together on that second unit so much throughout the year that they were able to develop their own chemistry between the two of them. Um, but we've also seen Lonnie play a uh, pretty solid pick and roll with Yak. Mm-hmm. We've seen DeJounte Murray attack the rim and get to his little pull-up game at the elbows. Um, at the end of the day, and I mean, Pop has said this, every, anybody with eyeballs and a brain who watches basketball uh, has said this. He's a guy who sets good screens and makes good plays. Um and does things for his teammates that make things easier for everybody. Lonnie just got a dunk that didn't count, uh, didn't but it count. was cool. It was cool. The ball was moving too. Um, that's Anytime I so can watch Yock, Lonnie jump, I'm fine with it. And so Yak is Yak is going to be a free agent this off season. Yeah, and it's a really, really, really tough call because uh, first off, I think Purple is a a net positive as we mentioned for the Spurs. Um, but uh, on the other side of the coin, I think there are matchups where he is completely overpowering against other teams. And then I think there are matchups where he is overpowered. So I, I think right. there, are, there are certain games where when Yak goes up against somebody who can go toe-to-toe with him, he's just sort of – I mean, he, he does not look as, as good out there. Um, right. So I think there are certain opponents where his skill set is – Certainly a great matchup, and then there are certain opponents where it's not a great matchup. So you have to understand that with Pirtle, throughout the course of the season, you're going to have some games where uh, he is just not going to be one of the, the best decisions to put on the court. Um, and as far as a deal, uh, because of his net rating, because he's sort of uh, an analytical darling to an extent of um, what his presence brings on the court, he, he's going to probably get a nice little deal. Um, you know, I, I said this early in the season when I was looking up kind of comparable contracts. I think Mason Plumlee got five years for, for $80 million. Um, you know, I mean, you're, you're kind of probably looking at at least 15 per for a yacht yeah. a year. I mean, that's kind of what you're sniffing. So, you know, five, for Jakob, he probably would love a five-year deal. The, the cool thing to do now is the three-plus-one deals. I don't think Yak really cares that much about that stuff. You know, um, I think he'll take the long-term security and, and call it good. So, yeah. you know, um, I, I, think he, I think he definitely um, provides important, important value for the team. And I think he's a modern... NBA rim protector. Uh, I think he's actually pretty adequate at guarding on the perimeter. I'm glad you brought that up. I wanted to talk about that because that's something that we saw in this bubble. There were many times, this is like a, 
a basketball 101 thing that you would teach kids if you're if you run the pick and roll and they switch it so that the big man is guarding a guard out on the perimeter you get everybody out of the way you let the guard do his thing and get past the big guy um Jakob Pertl has really good foot speed and footwork on the perimeter, and his anticipation is great. He's, he's a very smart player uh, and, and talented at guarding the wing. So I think that makes him a more uh, viable center that can't shoot than other guys. Uh, because a lot of those guys who are more interior players are kind of stiffs out on the perimeter. And Jakob Pertl is not that. He doesn't have a three-point shot, but he can defend the three-point line pretty well against mm-hmm. most people. Um, so that's a thing that makes me more comfortable with the Spurs giving him a, a longer contract potentially. And, you know, the fact that if... I mean, the, literally the main thing that they need to do with his development is remind him every single day that he's seven foot one and can extend his arms all the way and dunk the basketball. If they, if they literally hire a coach to every single day, remind him that like 15 times, especially during the game, he he could be very, very effective. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. like he could, there are so many points that he left on the board this year um, because he, he went up soft. Uh, and at the end of that Sixers game was, was one of them. Um, so, you know, obviously it's bigger than just, just one, and, one game, and I, one and play. Seeing, but. So I'm seeing a bunch of comments for Harry Giles, and I get it. I don't know why the Kings did not uh, accept his fourth-year option. Just a classic Vladi Divac move. But um, What do you think about the Spurs pursuing a player like that? In free I mean, that's, that's cool. I, I would love that, but just understand that a guy like Harry Giles is, is going to go to the highest bidder. So if San Antonio wants Harry Giles, you're going to have to overpay for him. So just understand that. And if you're cool with that and you want Harry Giles a lot, just know that you're probably going to pay him more than you want. And I'm cool. As I said, like, I don't think there's a wrong answer there. It's just a preference. But right. don't expect to get a deal with Harry Giles. You will be paying top dollar. And for a team like San Antonio, I think San Antonio is in the running. Um, uh, Quindary Weatherspoon left knee strain will not return. So that's the update uh, from gotcha. the Spurs. Um, but yeah, just understand I'm, I'm all for um, Harry Giles. And, but you know that you got to You got to know that you have a chance with him if you're going to let Yak walk. So, uh, you know, um, uh, I, I think Yak's probably a more fiscally responsible move. I think Harry Giles is definitely more of a home run move and, um, kind of need to see how everything shapes out and, and what the um, what Harry Giles can make in the open market and if you're only going to play a little pay a little bit more for Giles than you would Yacht then give me Giles like for sure um, if it's going to cost exponentially more then maybe Yacht is where you kind of get a little bit of a of a discount and you you try to work the the cap elsewhere in the future so um, uh, that's that's a a good a good kind of question of Yak or Giles, like in a, in a vacuum, uh, without worrying about other things, I would I would go with with Giles. But Timmy coming back from retirement, that would be fun. Honestly, yeah. I bet Tim Duncan could come back, average 
like a cool 15 and 10 a game and kickbox somebody if it came to it. Mm-hmm. And he'd be shooting probably 40% from three. And, uh, and also somebody, um, I saw somebody asked Jeremy Grant's situation. He has a player yeah. option for $9.3 million. Um, I don't, we don't know what the cap situation is going to be like next season and how the pandemic affects it. So it's a mess why, in short. That's, what, that's why I'm kind of like really hesitant to talk anything about future contracts. I think you're going to see, you know, that's why DeMar might opt in, you know, by the end of things. But um, my guess is a lot of people will be opting in to see where the, where the cap is changing. Um, you know, maybe a guy like Jeremy Grant can still make more than that 9.3 though. So, um, you know, he, he's an option as well. Uh, certainly a, a position of need for San Antonio. Right. Um, all right. Yeah. I, I think we pretty much covered it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're at halftime now in this jazz game and it's 61 to 50 uh, jazz. Um, next, let's talk about those other shooters off the bench. We can do mm-hmm. it very quickly. <laughs> yeah. uh, Patty Mills, consummate leader and professional uh, one of San Antonio and Australia's favorite sons, mm-hmm. uh, spur through and through a valuable basketball player. Uh, he is a very complete basketball player. The only problem is he's six feet tall. Yeah. Uh, Jake, I think you're right. I think he gets his number retired by San Antonio one day. He had, yeah, Isaac, he has been, uh, holding the clipboard here in, in, the Orlando bubble. So there could be a, a direct path to coaching, but he's still got buckets to get. He, tur- he just turned what? 32. It was his birthday and he just turned 32. So he's a young yeah. guy. So, you know, um, they shocked if the Spurs don't view Patty Mills as part of that organization after he's done playing. Now he's got, um, he's got some time and you what he's, you say he's 32 years old. About 31, 32. So, I mean, the guy's probably got like another four years in him before we talk about retirement. But, uh, you know, I don't know if he's going to be a coach. He could be part of the front office for all I know in the future. But I have a feeling that Patty Mills isn't going anywhere when his playing days are over. And I think that's what this was all about in the bubble. Right. Um, And, again, net rating this season was in the positives – not a ton of people we can talk about that, but um, you know he was he was tremendous this year, and he kind of started out the year as as a monster. I mean, he was making every he was he was FIBA Patty in October and November, and I don't know where the Spurs would have been without him. If you remember how bad November was as is. Um, oh yeah, they but, needed they needed every bucket from him. Yeah, but um, yeah, I you know Patty certainly probably making more than he's. Uh, worth but again patty is going to um you know make whatever he's got to make and the spurs are going to keep him and just mark down that roster spot in the future because there's no way the spurs are ever letting patty mills go right i i think a good way to put it is he makes more than what his play earns but he does so much more than what he does on the court you know yeah. So, so it's one of those deals that, I mean, you know, he he's signed, and they're they're not going to be trading Patty Mills, I don't think, for anything. Um, so, and then Marco, uh, 
not signed through next year. Uh, not I, good. I don't. On, I don't see any way that Marco Bellinelli's back. Like zero point one. Like I, I, I would. Be, I think right I, now, Spurs fans, we are watching the last game we will see from Marco Bellinelli in a, in a Spurs uniform. Yeah, I think that's I, what's happening right now. I would. Uh, if Marco comes back next year, then I will let Spurs fans take over my Twitter account and say whatever they got to say. I just I, I, this I, I don't see it. There, there's just no way. There's just no Marco, way that I can see it. Marco shot thirty eight point six percent from the floor, thirty seven percent from three throughout this year. He was uh, a train wreck on defense. It was he, not he, pretty. He fell off a cliff. I mean, like, that's the thing is, like, I think the Spurs were just waiting for his offensive numbers to regress to the mean, and they just never did, you know? Right. So, like, I I commend them for being patient, but, like, um, you know, um, I, you know, in the end, and and I think the bubble helped a little bit, he did have a net, you know, he was a beneficiary of the Spurs having a very uh, good second unit, so his net rating was essentially two. Uh, positively, and his offensive rating has gone up to a 111. Um, honestly, the way that he's played in the bubble would have been great during the season, but his October and November was just so detrimental to the team. It was just unbelievable how much of a negative he was on the court. I, I think my main takeaway from Marco's season is that even the best version of Marco Bellinelli, who is hitting those leaning 20-footers with his foot on the line, coming off a screen, you know, black hole taking shots with with young guys out on the floor in garbage time, or for some reason during a critical game, uh, he's, he's not – he might be that end-of-the-bench shooter for a team. Yeah. Uh, with, you know, he's, he's got some, some championship experience, obviously. Uh, but his production on the court, uh, his defense makes him almost unplayable, in my opinion. I'm sorry, but you don't have Marco Bellinelli in that role to get 6.2 points per game. No. You just don't. No. Last year, in 18-19, he had 10.5 points per game. You know, like he had he had an impact. He shot 41 percent from the field. He still shot his 37 percent from deep. You know, he, he played that supplemental role, but he was effective in that supplemental role. It just, you, you know, he was so horrific for so long offensively. It just, it was so unlike him. And it just, when he's, when you can't do the one thing that you're supposed to do, then everything is exploited, you know? Like, we, you know, at right. least with some other players, when you're shooting so well, it's like, well, we know his defense stinks, but look what he's doing offensively. When you, when it, you can't make a basket, and not to mention, you do your leaners. It just, you know, it, his it shot just, selection it, is fine if the shots are going in. He's uh, always done that. But, so the, the, you know, that stuff just makes you crazy when it doesn't go in. But yeah, it just um, it, it it's run its course. It just didn't work out this year. Yeah. I don't think he's as bad as this year was, but he's certainly aging, and it's time to it. It's just redundancy and players like I, him in the modern NBA who are one dimensional, just like Bryn. Uh, just they, they they don't fare too well right now, and it's unfortunate. He's either but he does be a work veteran, great off the ball. He does work he, great off right. the ball, and, and I, I think the guys, the young guys especially, who we'll talk about in a minute, I think they've learned from watching him some very productive ways on how to move off the ball. 
yeah. Keldon does it innately very well. Lonnie has improved greatly in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think there's almost a 0% chance we see Marco in San Antonio next year. There's a small chance, maybe not so small chance that we see him, uh, on an NBA team, mainly for veteran leadership, sometimes for 10 minutes a game, some outside yeah, shooting. He might, you know, if, if a team's like strapped in a salary cap, you know, some of those teams that are very top heavy, they might, you know, pack the bench with a guy like Marco who they can shove right. in there. And, you know, he's got experience and he's not going to, you know, completely tank you if he plays the game he's supposed to play. So, or he could be in Europe, you know, we don't, we don't yeah. know. or China. Uh, it's. I can see him going back to Italy and maybe just yeah. you know finishing yeah. his career out there. But be, who would say no to that? Pop visit yeah. some has some wine sometimes. Oh yeah, call um, Messina. Maybe Messina will. Yeah, no, that. no, that's a good point. Even Pal found a place on the Bucks for a bit, and yeah. you know, I, I think the only minutes he played were that one game against the Spurs where Pop just revenge pick and rolled him to death. <laughs> like this is for every time I had to watch you get roasted in pick and roll. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I don't think Marco is on this team uh, and uh, love him, love uncle Marco, but I know Spurs fans are ready to move on. Yeah. Uh, I would guess that a smart front office is also uh, yep. let's talk about the young guys. I, I see uh, we got, we got some people in here. How's it going everybody? Uh, thank you to everybody who's been hanging out. We've been we've been out of here for a minute, uh, but it's been really cool. No, Mary, uh, Mary Joe wants Trey. We can go Trey. Yeah, yeah. He's he is one of the young guys. Uh, yeah. Spurs picked him up after that disaster of letting Davis Bertans go and trying to get. <sighs> if we're doing Morris if we're doing that, the postseason mortem, man, that was not a good sign. By the way, when the that, de- <laughs> the Damari Carroll thing, just oh my still god. Are. Uh, oh my god! I don't know what but, happened there. So Trey though had himself a pretty good season, especially down the stretch as he got more comfortable, uh, you know, playing with his Spurs teammates and and finding his spots and letting that three ball fly. Uh, let me break it down by month here with the splits. Yeah, I was literally just about to do that because the Trey we got towards the end of the season is the trade that yeah. we're optimistic about. All right. This is crazy. Okay. So October, uh, 46% on th- a little over three field goal attempts per game. Uh, no made threes in those first four games in October. Fast forward uh, to December and January. Uh, he's not shooting the ball well. He's below 40%, but he's at a little over five attempts per game. Uh, and shooting like under 20%, uh, under 30% on his threes. So shots not falling, but he's shooting a little more. Uh, And then in five games in March, uh, 11 shots per game, around 45% from the floor. And in February and and March, he shot around 48% from three uh, on a pretty high volume of attempts. Mm -hmm. So, I, I think the trend is really positive there for Trey Lyles. I think both age-wise, position-wise, and skill set-wise, he fits really, really well with mm-hmm. this young core that the Spurs are building. Uh, and I think he's a player that the Spurs should invest in long-term. Um, yeah, I, I, and, you know, uh, 
look, they can bring him in for next season for five, the five point five million. Um, and I think you absolutely do that. That's a, a no brainer. Yeah. And you see what you have. Um, you know, I'm not sure if I'm ready to commit anything beyond next season. I need to see that what he was doing in February and in March is going to be the Trey Lyles we're going to get. Because if he right. lives out there, then we can call him a perimeter player. And all yeah. of a sudden, Trey Lyles at, at six foot nine, right? We brought up Eubanks' size at yeah. six foot nine. You have guys like Trey Lyles who can shoot three pointers and extend defenses and make the offense flow. And um, he just, you know, and not to mention he's a great rebounder. So not right. only are you get are you getting a low usage three point shooter, but you're getting somebody who's also going to get you um, what like six to seven boards per game. Um, yeah. You know, uh, and and yeah, Mary Jo, I agree. He is a pretty good passer. I saw somebody ask his age. He's twenty four, going to be twenty five before the start of next season. Yeah, I mean, he's you know he's already bounced so, around enough. Uh, you know, former uh, for first round pick out of Kentucky. Um, right. I just there's there's some meat left on the bone to figure about Trey Lyles, and I I think that is a guy where I don't know whether I don't know if you start him or not. But he's right. certainly part of the rotation in some degree when we factor in everybody. And he is a no-brainer, scoop him up for 5.5. And I think um, in the end, that was a nice, um, a nice move by Brian Wright and company in a crappy situation to bring him in. It took months for it to come to fruition with the way that we think Lyles needs to play. But with the version we have seen or last seen, um, we're happy with that. And that's going right. to get you a call back to San Antonio. Agree 100%. Okay. Uh, should, should we just close the door on, on the rookie class real quick, starting with uh, the, the highest pick and the least impactful so far on the NBA level? Oh, uh, Luca. Oh, yeah. Luca. Very quickly. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, look, there's not much to break down. All I'm going to say here is, Everybody has these grandiose takes about Luka Shamanich. I have been hammering this home forever. You, you know this. This is one of my, my, um, my uh, you know, I stand on my soapbox. Um, he's a project. And until the year 2022, we don't really know what we're going to have with Luka Shamanich. Right. Um, I can say this in the minutes we have seen. Uh, I, I've seen a couple of good things today. Uh, he looks a little bit more comfortable. But – the dude needs some confidence. I need him to bulk up. I need him to show energy. I need a lot more out of what I'm seeing in the opportunities that he's given. He is playing way too weak. I mean, just you see Keldon is fearless. Uh, and actually, you know, I, I was able to talk, and I'll mention with Keldon, I'll hold that off. But I, I did talk with John Calipari yesterday about Keldon Johnson. Oh, nice. And he, and he used, he's, he's the one that told me that, you know, he's a fearless player. That's what you see with Keldon. Like, you see the fear in Luka Shamanich's eyes when he steps on the court. So send him back down to Austin next year. Let's, let's get him more confidence. And then halfway through the year, let's bring him up. And we need to trickle him in for some minutes. Um, but again, Luka, is a, it was a high-risk, high-reward pick in that situation where if he can pan out, his body and his type is exactly what the modern NBA needs. And it's exactly what San Antonio needs. And if Luka can pan yeah. out... With his, he can handle the ball. Uh, you know, he can rebound. 
He can shoot threes. He can do everything at what, 6'10? 6'11, yeah. 6'11? I mean, you know, if he can fill out, I mean, we're talking about like a a potential sort of superstar talent. But it'd be a matchup nightmare. Exactly. But he needs, you know, he needs to develop. So right now, I'm not, I'm not happy with the, the small opportunities he's been, that I've seen out of him. So, but, but I'm not ready to make any sort of take on right. Luca. He was never going to be part of this season. I never even put him in the picture for next season. So, um, still got some time on him. Yeah. Uh, he, like, as far as meeting expectations, this is about what I expected from him for this year. So, I don't care. Uh, I'm going to try to sum it up in as few words as possible. He's not ready yet. That's okay. He's young. We'll see. Ten. <laughs> and that is my Luka Shamanich take. And we can move on now to Quindary Weatherspoon, who I think has looked really nice in the bubble. Uh, he's, he's a skilled combo guard, does a little bit of everything, tenacious on defense, not afraid of contact. Uh, what are you seeing out of him this year? Yeah, I like you. Uh, certainly a guy that comes into the NBA with a lot more experience than most rookies played all, um, all four years there at Mississippi state, uh, was a bucket getter there. I think with a, a bit more rope, we can see a little bit more of his shooting potential. Obviously when he steps on the court, he's not there to score points per se, unless the shot is kind of open. He's probably the fifth option, you know, at best fourth option on the court to shoot the ball. Uh, but you just see poise. Um, I think defensively he needs a little work. Seems sometimes can be. I've seen I've seen some great moments out of him defensively. I've seen some rookie moments out of him defensively in terms of rotations. Um, but he he seems like a very viable backup point guard um, for this team. And you know if you're going to play Dejounte and Derek together in the future, you're going to need. Cue to come in to allow both of those guys to rest at some point near the end of maybe the first quarter, uh, play a little bit in the beginning of the second quarter, and the end of the third quarter. In those like, uh, in those like seven to nine minutes or so, I think he can fulfill some sort of role. Yeah, I agree completely, um, and I, I think he's. I mean, he's got the physical tools uh, to guard both guard positions. Um, and he was a, a four-year player, right? Two-year SEC All-Star. Yes. Yep. Uh, and so he's a guy who has a lot of experience playing the game of basketball, kind of similar to Derek White in that sense where, uh, you know, spent a lot of time in college but was a really, really good college player for a reason. And that mm-hmm. reason boils down to understanding the game and then having the physical tools to do – what you need to do. Uh, and, you know, again, as far as expectations go, I, I kind of expected him to be a little more NBA ready than Luca from day one, even though he was, you know, the 50, whatever pick, uh, and Luca was 19. Um, I wasn't expecting him to get much run just because of the guard depth, but in the bubble, he got an opportunity and he played pretty well. Uh, I like, I liked what I saw from him. Um, should we go to Keldon now? Can we go to Keldon? Oh, oh, please. Let's discuss. Let us discuss Keldon Johnson. 
Keldon Johnson. Do you, do you want to start? You can start us off. Oh, uh, man. What, you know, this is just a tremendous, tremendous pick. Um, and again, I, you know, I'll just tell you guys, I'm going to do a, a story on Calvin Johnson tomorrow. So I, I have a bit more of what to say on him. But when you just talk about a dude who plays the right way, um, you know, his, he just has an infectious personality. And that's often on the court. Uh, everyone talks about his smile. He's goofy. Um, in the post-game press conferences on these, like, Zoom calls, he's out there, like, sneaking up behind people and, like, waving to the camera, like, with his face all up in it as Kelvin Johnson just gets an add-one bucket. Um, something that uh, Cal Parry said, which was really interesting, he said, because uh, I told him, I was like, man, it, for a guy his size, he, he uses his body so well. And I was like, we make jokes here, his big body, because it's something he said on the court. And he was like, you know, that's, that, that's pretty, you know, exactly on. Um, you know, he said coming out of high school, he was an inconsistent shooter. And that was the big knock on him. But he said, like, his energy is just unbelievable. And the way that he plays, uh, Calipari said, I knew that I would be able to find a role for him with that sort of tenacity. And he was like, you know, at points he played young. Um, at some points he's kind of doing things and he doesn't know what he's doing because he's allowing his energy to take over. And he said, you know, that's just part of what you get with the Kelvin Johnson experience. But that experience um, was amazing. And he said it was, it was destiny for an organization like San Antonio to get him where he said, admittedly, Kelvin was disappointed that he dropped that far and where Calipari admitted saying I had, I could not believe that he dropped that far. He said there were five teams uh, in the middle of the draft that Keldon did not work out for. So that when those five teams picked and did not pick him, other teams are out there um, saying, well, is there something that we don't know? And he right. said that had a slippery slope effect. And um, he said the Spurs were in the gym numerous times scouting their players um, and that the Spurs – Texted Calipari during the draft saying, is there something we need to know? Like, why is Keldon Johnson here? And Calipari said, I do not know, man, but he is good to go. And that's why the Spurs pulled the trigger there when they did. So That's awesome. Um, yeah, so that was a nice little tidbit uh, from him. So they, they but, called him while they were on the clock? They, they like, texted him. They're, yeah, one of, one of the Spurs scouts um, texted wow. him was like, yeah, is there, just, is there something that, like, we're missing? And Calipari's like, I, like, I don't know what's going on. You know, he's just, like, so confused. And he even said it during draft day, just, um, you know, like, him going to Spurs, like, where oh. Keldon might be disappointed he went that late. It's going to be fate that he went to the Spurs because that is going to be such an unbelievable fit where they are going to demand excellence out of him and keep him sort of on the tracks where this guy has so much energy that they're going to be able to harness some of that energy and make sure that he's dialed in to where he needs to be. And, and that's what we're seeing, man. And we're seeing Keldon make leaps uh, earlier than he should, honestly, in his career. And It's like um, when a baby starts walking at three months and you're like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Chill out, man. I mean, it's, uh, but, I mean, the most obvious development has been his three-point shooting in the bubble. Um, he, it cannot, like, I, he is way too hot stats? for his own. I want to do the stats. 
Dude, his three-point percentage, I'm looking now, is like at 63% from three. <laughs> All right, so in the bubble, in the last seven games, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Last seven games he's, he's got 11 points today. Uh, but in the last, 11 game, er, last seven games, 63% field goal, uh, 26 minutes a game, 13 points a game, uh, 71% on uh, two threes a game. Uh, five over five rebounds, over an assist, uh, and a steal per game. Uh, and the plus minus average has been plus five point six. Uh, so he's he's another one of those guys who just, even if he doesn't light up the box score, he has an opportunity to make a huge impact on the game just with his hustle, his physical play. Uh, he he, I I think. We've already seen enough from him this year to say that he deserves a big role next year. Yeah. Um, I I just saw a comment, Mary Jo, asking us, uh, does he start next year? Uh, I, I don't know. What do you think and, about and, that? So I don't know. I, like, I need to see who's on the roster. And I'm not saying that he doesn't deserve some starts. Like, at some point, I'm sure we're going to be saying, like, oh, maybe he should start. But – I don't hate Keldon coming off the bench. I mean, we're talking about an organization that had Manu Ginobili as the consummate sixth man. Like, coming off the bench is not, like, a bad thing, you know? Keldon is And Keldon's somebody... been finishing games here in the bubble, I was too. just about to say that. I don't care if he comes off the bench, but I do know that I want him finishing games. That much yeah. I do know. So 100%. I really don't, you know, I don't know how next year's lineup is going to look as far as starting and all that stuff, but... It is very clear in the bubble that when we get down to crunch time, I want a Keldon Johnson in the game. He is one of those players, right, that steps on the court and good things happen. Good things happen with Keldon. And one last thing on the, the Calipari conversation that I, I meant to bring up and I forgot, um, when, I, when I brought up the, the big body stuff, he said it's uh, sort of the same Booker evolve into the player that he had. Like Devin Booker – if you look at his career at Kentucky, I think he, had, he averaged 10 points per game at Kentucky. And, I mean, he had, you know, diff, different sort of skill set, also a smaller body. But he was like, you know, I watch Book now, and I'm seeing him, like, yamming on people with his left hand. And he's like, that, like, you know, he's starting to fill out and use that body correctly. And it's like making him into one of the best players in the NBA. Now, I don't know if Kelvin Johnson's going to be Devin Booker-esque, I would probably say, especially in the San Antonio organization, that's not going to happen. But Keldon um, has not yet filled out. And so if he's using his body so well now, imagine what he's going to do in three years when he packs on another 10 to 15 pounds of muscle. Yeah, agree. I, like, first of all, I think he's taller than 6'5". He's listed as 6'5". I'm not buying it. I'm on to I'm not Keldon. buying it. Um, but, yeah, he – his body control is fantastic and he has the size and the competitiveness to really compete really one through four, um, on the defensive end of the floor. And he has that yep. dog, you know, he, he's very, very, uh, defensive. I just to, to jump in here real quick. Uh, I, I just saw Luca look lackluster on a closeout to a corner three and it looked like pop called a timeout to yell at him. So that's fun. <laughs> uh, I, I've seen I've seen questions about uh, Keldon's ceiling, and this is something that that I've joked about, asked, but not really I, joking. 
like like Derek White is clay with a handle. Uh, Keldon Johnson is Kawhi Leonard with a lovable personality and no meddling family members. Like, yeah. like that. I, I mean, I don't know if he's got the Kawhi ceiling. Uh, it, mostly because of size. Um, he he's got at the size. very at the very least twenty fourteen Kawhi. Like uh, I'm. I, Oh, I, you know me. You know where I stand uh, on... You say Corey Maggette, I'm going to smack you. Peak? Okay. Do I need to run through peak Corey Maggette for you? Like, people don't understand what peak Corey Maggette is. All right? Okay. Let, me, let, let me go yeah. to his 2007-2008 season. Corey Maggette. Look at his peak we're, season. We're talking about one of the most exciting rookies the Spurs have had in years. This guy is talking about All right, let me, let me tell you. Let me tell you 2007, 35 minute, 35, uh, 36 minutes per game. He averaged 14 shots per game. He shot 46% from the field, 38% from three. Uh, he averaged 22 points per game, or roughly three turnovers. He had one steal per contest, three dimes, and six rebounds per game. Like, does... And, and he went to the line almost 10 times per contest. That, that peak Corey Maggette is what I see as Kelton's future. I think he could do that next year. Uh, I, I if think he, if, if we're talking about for ceiling the... for career, like I hope the Spurs go on another 22-year playoff streak on Kelton Johnson alone. I hope he's still playing at that point. I, I like – I think I'm high on Kelvin Kelvin Johnson. I'm a little high on Kelvin Johnson. No, I'm, I'm super high on Kelvin Johnson. I I don't, I don't necessarily think he's going to be an all-star mostly because he does so many things very well. I don't see him doing one thing particularly great, but he is just going to be like him and Derek white are just going to be cornerstones as part of that. Like, like a, a sort of a grit and grindish type of mentality that the Spurs might meld into of just like bringing tons of energy on the defensive side of the court. And, you know, like, I mean, you just have a lot of like energetic young players. Um, oh, Kelvin missed a corner three. Haven't seen that in a while. Um, yeah, it's been a minute. His but, form looks so pure. Like, I can't believe the ball would even and, consider not going in. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what Chip has done with him. Uh, but obviously they've made it a point to to shoot corner threes, and he has been locked in. We all know the Spurs organization. They love that corner three. So, um, Okay. The, these, are, these are Kawhi's 2014 regular season averages. 13 points, uh, 1.7 steals, 0.8 blocks, two assists, six rebounds. Uh, he shot 58% from the floor and 38% from three. Uh, and played 29 minutes a game. I think Keldon Johnson could do that next year. Oh, totally. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Like, you know, I don't know if he's Corey McGetty. I don't know if he's prime Corey McGetty next year. But he is, at the very least, 2014 Kawhi. Yeah, I, I guess, let, let me just say this. I also want to see how Keldon does when he fills into his body. Um, I mean, he's still, he's still a kid. Like, yeah. if you look at him and you look at his body, like, he's, he's not even close to chiseled yet. He's just not. He's still going to the pediatrician. I mean, like... <laughs> God, he, Luke he, three. He's a huge child. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. yeah. I really like his footwork on those threes. Uh, he, he's, he's quite good for a big man at getting his feet set, uh, stepping into those threes. 
Yeah. Defensively um, speaking, needs a lot of work. Yeah. He's the thing is, he's six eleven, but overall he's a better perimeter player than he is interior. Yeah. Uh, so so that's been a really interesting thing to watch. Um but yeah, Keldon is like smiley lovable Kawhi to me. Uh, I don't yeah, know I don't I, know if I, he turns into Robo Kobe. Uh <laughs> but at at the very least the version of Kawhi that won finals MVP. Yeah, I could see I could I, see Keldon doing that. Yeah, and like and soon. The number, one, the number one thing from Keldon that you got to see is just a little bit more of the mid-range game. We don't really see any of that from Keldon, right? He either drives or shoots threes. Now, in today's NBA, that's all you need to do. So I don't I mean, right. I don't know. Spurs don't need like, any more guys that can that love shooting mid-range shots. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll leave that to DeJounte. That's his shot. Right. right. Uh and DeMar DeRozan, but we'll talk about him later. Yeah. Uh, so let's let's talk about some of the other members of the Spurs Young Core. Uh, let's talk about Lonnie. Let's talk about right. Lonnie Walker. Uh, it was a uh, an arduous season for him, for sure. Yeah. Uh, his I'm going to take a look at his month by month stats, uh, but it really came down to uh, opportunity and trust, and in the beginning of the year. Uh, you could argue that he hadn't really earned it. Uh, you could argue that uh, he probably should have gotten an opportunity to make mistakes more uh, at the NBA level a little earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, he averaged five minutes a game in October and November, uh, 16 yeah, minutes a game in December and January. Okay. Yeah. And he, he had this really short leash Pop did on, yeah. on Lonnie. And uh, you know, having covered him in Austin and spent a lot of time around him, uh, you know, I know that he's one of those people who, you know, his play is, is very based on confidence. Uh, and I know that he probably didn't get much confidence uh, just based on the way his, his coaching staff uh, was managing his minutes, at least, and yanking him out of games when he made a mistake. Um, but as the season went on, he gradually earned more trust. Uh, and in the bubble, averaging about uh, 26 minutes a game. Um, and he's been shooting the ball quite well. Uh, he's around 30. Eh, he's, he's been okay shooting the ball. He's been, he's been okay. He's, but his last, um, his last two games, have, last two to three games have done no favors. Right. He needs to be more consistent with that three ball. But at the very least, the biggest piece of gross growth for him to me was in the beginning of the season, he would catch at the arc, drive into a crowd, turn it over, not get the foul. Uh, and it, it didn't go great. And so in the bubble, we've seen him catch at the arc. And if he's wide open, he's letting it fly. Um, and it's gone down at a respectable clip. He definitely needs to be more reliable with it, uh, but I, I trust him to put in the work to be more consistent in that area of his game. And he, you know, I mean, the, the Houston game is probably the high point of the Spurs season, right? Or one of them. Oh, um, my God. Yeah. I mean, he single-handedly won that game for the Spurs. And he did it in, I mean, you want to talk about drives and threes 
I mean, he he did not stop attacking uh, in those spots. He finished the season at uh, 39% from three. So that's really good. I mean, that's that's above NBA average. I think NBA average is closer to 35. Um, and he's going to finish the year uh, averaging six points in 16 minutes a game. But again, a lot of that is just he was brought along slowly and played with a tight leash. Um, so that's one of those things that happens. He needs to get better, in my opinion, at uh, being present and aware on the defensive end. That's something that he struggled with throughout the year. Um, looked a little better in the bubble. Looked a little better when he wasn't sharing the court with a bunch of guys who can't play defense. Uh, but one of those things where, uh, you know, he, he can iron that part of his game out. And I think just finishing through contact, seeking contact, um, and, uh, you know, when, when he gets to the cup, going up strong and either forcing the ref to make a call or going through guys. Um, but he, his talent level, the other day pop was talking about his, his basketball IQ, which is quite high. Um, and in the bubble, my favorite thing that he's been doing is moving really well without the ball. Um, you know, with it, with it, without it, he's moving well on the court, setting his teammates up, playing well, spacing the floor, uh, doing a little bit of everything that you need to do. So he's he's been really, really good. Um, yeah, um, I, I agree with a lot of a lot of things you said. By the way, the, uh, just to piggyback, I I think when you look at this season, um, I, I'm counting. You know, I'm counting as his rookie year, really. I wish that he would have gotten a little bit more time at the beginning of the season and have given that leash. Overall, very inconsistent. Um, you know, I think he made a, a big step a couple of nights ago or a couple of games ago when he had a, a pretty off shooting night and made an impact in the game through it through throwing um, assists. And I think that's right. a nice right. development, as you mentioned. Um, but he vanishes sometimes in games like. That's just the number one thing with Lonnie is he is such an athletic freak. And there are some times where I just don't feel his presence out there. He needs to get a little bit better, as you mentioned, defensively. I need him a little bit better shooting. And I need him a lot bit better at finishing at the rim. With a guy and his, with a, uh, as a guy with his athleticism, finishing at the rim transforms his game. Because right. he can get to the cup so easily but he just doesn't draw enough fouls and he's trying to manipulate his body into so many different ways that he makes it so much harder for himself when he just has to go through people. And he's got to watch some Keldon Johnson tape on that. Yeah. Like he does. It's just, uh, he just needs, as you mentioned, he has to welcome the contact and um, if he can do that and play a little bit slower, you know, I, Greg Popovich just talked about that a lot of, um, you know, he's so fast and he's so athletic that sometimes, you know, a little bit of what DeJounte Murray does too, where your body's moving quicker than your mind. And that, you know, in this, in this league, that can be of a huge benefit of yours if you use it properly. So right. he just has to pick his spots a little bit better. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for a big growth in him next season because there is – um, 
there have been overwhelming moments where I've been like, this guy's a dude. And then I've been underwhelmed at points too. So, you know, um, you know, I, I need to see a little bit more from him next season, but I'm still very much on the Lonnie Walker train as far as his, um, you know, projecting his future goes. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, he definitely needs to be more consistent. I think it's, it was hard for him to be consistent given the inconsistent role throughout the season. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he's a guy who just given his talent and that confidence and his competitiveness, he can be really, really good, uh, at the NBA level. So I know the Spurs are like, expect a lot out of him. I know he expects a lot out of himself. Uh, and he should be in a Spurs uniform for a long, long time. Um, you know, I, I think his, his season was, uh, more of a learning experience, but a valuable one. And he'll be better for it moving forward. You brought up DeJounte Murray before. You want to talk about him next? Yeah, very quickly with DeJounte. Defense, um, remarkable as always. I think he leads the league in deflections. Um, mm-hmm. I, think, I think we all just have to live with the fact that DeJounte is going to get uber aggressive sometimes on defense and it's going to cost you at some points or points. But if that means he's going to make deflections and get easy two points the opposite direction, you have to welcome that sort of aggression. What he did against the Sixers was inexcusable, and that can never happen again. But besides that, um, I need him to be a bit more efficient in his shot selection. So um, I think he was shooting about 50% before the bubble. And even in the bubble, his, his shooting has been fine. He's been, sh- like, he's been given the keys to the car to shoot more, which is great. But now you have to use that power efficiently. Don't just start shooting because you haven't put up shots in a while. Like his game is working elbow to elbow, finding that mid-range jumper. He's money on those mid-range jumpers. So just find your shot and put up a few uh, few threes when you have them, which he's done. And I think his offensive game has really gotten better. It's not perfect. I need him to slow down and transition. He also has the Lonnie Walker thing where he doesn't welcome contact. He's not a great finisher. Um, so those sort of things have to improve. But I don't think he's an albatross offensively speaking, which is something that when he first came to the Spurs, we're like, uh, okay, this guy can play defense, but is he going to be a viable offensive threat? Um, I think he has a role offensively speaking now, and the Spurs just need to make sure to run plays that speak to his strengths. And right. to tell DeJounte, hey, put up your shots when you want them, but don't, don't do anything that's out of your role. Like, play your right. game. Right. Play your game. Don't force it. I've, I've seen a lot of people talking about his, his passing in the comments, and definitely a point of concern. His decision-making, a point of concern. Uh, this year, he averaged four assists and a little under two turnovers a game. So that ratio isn't bad. But um, he's definitely better as a slasher and an off-ball scorer. Um, his, his game as a three-level scorer has really improved. Um, last year, the last year that he was healthy, uh, where he played like 22 minutes a game uh, and was second-team all-defense, he shot 
from three. This year, 38% from three. Uh, it's less than two attempts per game, but the efficiency and the willingness to take that shot and the ability to knock it down at a clip that forces the defense to respect him out there, that opens up his game completely for the driving that he does, the slashing, the pulling up at, at the elbow type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think there's plenty of valid criticism about his abilities as, as a true point guard. Uh, and I think that makes the development of Derek White that much more much important. More important. And Correct. we can kind of segue into that now. Yep. Um, and that's why playing with Derek is so important as well. Not just defensively right. speaking that it's a great lineup, but it also allows DeJounte to play what would no- we would normally think of as like a – I don't want to say he's a two, but he's kind of like a, a 1.5. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're taking the ball a little bit out of his hands – but he's still going to be part of the offense and he can run the pick and roll. He can do the things that a point guard traditionally does, but he doesn't have to always do it. And if you can minimize or minimize his uh, amount of touches with running the point, I think you make him a bit more efficient, which is what you need. Right. And, you know, when you, when you have the game on the line, especially with these Spurs, you want the ball in DeMar's hands. Um, but, you know, if, if the, it's a player that's not DeMar, it's probably Derek White running the pick and roll. Mm-hmm. This year, he was fantastic running the pick and roll. I can look up those stats right now, see exactly his uh, point per possession efficiency in the pick and roll. It was really high. Uh, mm-hmm. com- it, w- it was, I believe, the highest on the Spurs and one of the higher ones in the NBA overall. Um, and Derek is... Uh, absolutely one of those players who, um, you know, his mind for the game is next level. You see it on both ends of the floor. You see it when he takes five charges in a game, yeah. which has to be some sort of record. Uh, it's um, remarkable. You know, he he's a really intelligent player, and now we're seeing him play with the confidence of a player as talented and as smart as he is. Um, yeah. Knicks keep dreaming. You didn't get Kevin Durant. You didn't get Kyrie Irving. You didn't get yeah. anybody before that. And you won't get the player who is as good, if not better, Derek White. Yeah, I don't uh, know what world like that rumor came about. Or like, I don't know if you're trying to force that narrative, but that it's not happening. Stop trying the to fa- make Derek White to the Knicks happen. It's not going to the happen. Spurs are never, ever, 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 ever going to do a deal with the Knicks if they can <laughs> make sure of it. If there is one franchise that the Spurs will detest for the tale of times, it's going to be the New York Knicks. You see the pettiness still with the, the, the whole Marcus Morris situation. It still exists. Yeah. So, I mean, even when Fizz got fired, Pop couldn't uh, hold back on trying to uh, throw some shade their way. But, again, what you're seeing from Derek in the bubble is potentially um, superstar stuff. I mean, right. you know, I think we came to a conclusion after my Jeff McNeil reference that like Malcolm Brogdon is sort of what uh, what we're looking at. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I think he ended up shooting this season like 36, 37 percent from three. I think he can work his way up to 38 percent. 38. 38. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that Derek should be a 40 percent three point. Actually, you're right. It's 37. Sorry. Thirty-seven, yeah. So I, th- I think I think Derek can 
be a, a 40% three-point shooter uh, throughout the course of a season, which really would open things up. I mean, On we're like talking eight to Spurs. 12 attempts per game, though, too. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, it, like the fact is when the Spurs consolidate what they have with like pure shooters, having a guy like Derek is going to be amazing to see. So, yeah. um, man, I just, you know, we can gush about Derek all we want, but I think he is, oh, Derek just missed a yam. Um, I mean, uh, Drew, um, if I, I think Derek is probably the number one player in my head, who's got superstar potential out of the young group. I think he is, if you want to talk about like we removed DeMar and LaMarcus and that discussion, like the next potential all-star for the Spurs, I think it's Derek White. Yeah. Let's talk about the split between bubble and the regular season. Uh, pre, pre bubble, uh, overall for the full season, uh, he played 25 minutes a game, 11 points per game, uh, three three-point attempts per game. In the bubble, 29 minutes a game, 18 points per game, uh, eight threes per game at 38%, uh, almost four rebounds, five assists, uh, and a little over block and steal combined per game. Uh, and he was just one of those guys that was all over the floor. Um, so, you know, just this, this whole season, he's had that skill and that talent and brought obviously the defense, but more sneakily, probably the pick and roll stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, man, he in the bubble, he's got to be on one of the top three. Like, if, if you made an all bubble three teams, he's got to be on one. He's got to be on well, one of the all defensive teams. Yeah, um, he's, been, he's he's been fantastic. He's been great. It just as I said, I mean, he's too easy to talk about. Just just know that Derek White. Um, you know, I think the Spurs need to figure out locking him down. Uh, give him. See if he, you can sign him to the DeJounte Murray extension. I'm sure that if I was Derek White's agent, I want a little bit more than what the Spurs gave Murray. But regardless, I think um, get that figured out. He's, he needs to be part about. He needs to be part of this organization for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. So now uh, we got three guys left that we got to talk about. They are veterans. Uh, one of them didn't come to the bubble. One of them played really well in the bubble. Uh, and another one played surprisingly really well in the bubble. Rudolphus. Uh, yeah, let's start with him. Rudolph Gay. What did you think of his season overall? And then what did you think of what he did in the bubble? Uh, I mean, Rudy's season overall is a disappointment. But uh, what he's done in the bubble is exactly what he did the previous season, which is why the Spurs gave him the money he got. Um, this is the Rudy that the Spurs signed up for throughout the entirety of the season. And if they had this Rudy for the entirety of the season, who knows where the Spurs are? Like, I mean, they could have picked up – like, if you thought that second unit was was dominant during the season already, imagine having, like, Rudy being at the top of his game. I mean, Rudy in the bubble, his usage is, like, at 26%. Like, they are running that entire second unit through him. So that's one thing. But in his – Bubble games, 
19 points, 12 points, 24 points, 24 points, 14 points, 19 points, 13 points. Uh, you know, eight of 15, the Grizzlies game was a mess. He was three of 15 shooting, but, um, you know, field goals, eight of 15, three of 15, nine of 15, nine of 18, five of nine, five of 11, five of 11. Okay. Three pointers, three of five, two of six, two of four, two of six, two of three, two of five, three of six. I mean, like, yeah, that's, that's 46% for three in the bubble. Um, you know, he, he was just fantastic. Uh, it was it was really quite something to see. Um, that, like that that Rudy, the Rudy we see in the bubble would have made such an impact this year for the Spurs team. And he, right. it did. This version of Rudy made such an impact last year for the Spurs uh, when they made it to the playoffs as a seventh seed. And they just, they just didn't get that throughout the entirety of the season, so much so that they had to limit his minutes at times because he was a negative impact. Um, his three-point shooting just wasn't good enough. It just wasn't. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the stuff that he's done in the bubble um, makes you excited for at least what he can provide next season. If anything, it also provides trade value if you want to dish him off. Um, yeah. Somebody would definitely lo- – I would argue you probably need him because you don't have anybody to fill that position. So I think you've got to keep him. But at the trade deadline next year, if the, if the, the year's going south, he's probably a, a person you can trade away for something. So, you know, second-round pick maybe. So, I, you know, overall uh, disappointed. But what we've seen at least gives you reason to believe that he still has another year left in him. And then after that year, I think you probably have to say goodbye. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, think, I think you see what he can do next year. Uh, if he can bring this version of himself that's shooting almost 50% on threes, I'll take 40. Uh, but that would make up for some of his shortcomings, um, especially the defensive end of the floor, where I think that was where he refers. Uh, and you can justify it if he's and, and somebody uh, said, a four somebody stretch on the floor. But. Injury, yeah, somebody said he's injury prone, and he played 69 games last season. He played 67 games this season. I mean, he's, he's been fairly durable. Um, he missed – yeah, and, and uh, he's not going to log you more than 70 games. But, um, you know, the, he hasn't had one of those, like – 30 game seasons in a while. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, and I, I think he's been a good veteran for this young group. Um, but yeah, I, I think his role next year with the team is going to be a smaller one for sure. Um, yeah. Or make it similar to what he's doing this, right? He comes in, he played like, you know, uh, Right. He plays in a second unit, and he's like the pure shooter of the group. And, you know, he's a mismatch for a lot of second units. So, he, I mean, I he he's still got, gets he's got a roll. Yeah, he's he, got like, a roll. Like, he can put it on the floor and get a bucket. So, that's always going to be valuable. That's something he can still do. Yeah, we're talking about DeJounte's decision-making, and he just tried to thread a pass between two guys who were standing at the elbow, at the, at the, yeah. at the elbows, walling off Chemezi, and it was a turnover. Um, you know, he, he makes some, some mistakes that it's like, what are you doing? Uh, but then again, so do a lot of veterans on the team. So, you know, these things happen. So Evan, we're reaching the part of the program where we got to talk about DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge. 
the thing is, the Spurs game, the one that's going on is in the fourth quarter now. Uh, there's about nine and a half minutes left. And after that, we've got to go talk to Greg Popovich. Mm-hmm. So should we save the DeMar and LaMarcus conversation for after that? I, I think we've got enough time to get... Uh, okay. Well, let's bang it out then. Uh, yeah. Let's start with the guy who played DeMar DeRozan. He looked fantastic in the bubble, huh? De, uh, DeMar DeRozan, the version of DeMar DeRozan that we got in the bubble is a fantastic version. Uh, the fact is, he's, you know, you're playing now four, you're playing four perimeter players with Yak. Uh, DeMar was handling the ball um, and driving and collapsing defenses, which allowed him to kick out and find open shooters or have them drive and continue to screw up defenses. Uh, he, he decided to kind of shift his role into like thinking about scoring all the time into more of a, hey, if they don't give it to me, I'm going to find different ways for my teammates to score. And we saw that at points this season, but we didn't see it all the time. Um, and uh, I just think that the version that we got in the bubble where he allows the other players to stay involved and to get their three-point shots up, I think creates um, more opportunities for, for more points, more pace. And then uh, just having his presence in the fourth quarter when defenses do lock down and he can just play iso ball um, – and really just torch some weak defenders out there. Uh, like his value as a closer is phenomenal. So um, I know the knock on him has been his ability to close games um, during the regular season. But uh, I just think that now if, if he is, you know, he's somebody that should really have like, I want him to have like seven to nine assists a game. He should be leading the team in assists every game. Yeah. Uh, and he should still also get 20 points or so per game uh, because he's just so good at getting to the line, and he's so good with his mid-range. Um, he's, he really, like, he exploits mismatches and poor defensive switches. Uh, and, uh, and again, if we speak about his defense, if you play him with guys like Derek and DeJounte and Yak, his defense is more than adequate, and it's not going to be a problem anymore. So um, I don't know if he's going to opt in I, again, we have to see what the salary cap situation is. I would imagine he's still going to opt out. Uh, and I think there is an argument to be had that the Spurs should probably feel with DeMar. Mm. So I, I'm with you on a lot of it. I think the bubble version of him was fantastic. Um, he was, I mean, he was one of the best fourth quarter players. Um, I am leaning more toward in the commentator said one more year uh, where DeMar can play sort of the role that he's played in this bubble um, and do what he does, score late, get his teammates involved early, and hope that these this young core that the Spurs are putting so much into developing is ready for the next season without DeMar. Um, I, I think... Um, I'm just a bit... Here's the other thing. I don't think that the only way you're getting one more year of him is if he opts in, to which, whatever, then we suspend this conversation for a year. But if he opts out, you know, he's not, not happening. Yeah, if he opts right. out, we're not talking about the year. So, um, 
I just don't know. Like, you know, here's the thing, right? Like, Rudy's 36 years old, and he's still getting buckets. I mean, I don't see why DeMar can't get buckets for another four years. Like, his talents will slowly deteriorate like any person does. But he's always been a staple of health. Um, I, just, I just don't see if, – if you surround him with the right personnel, I don't see how he becomes a detriment. Right. I agree with that. I agree with that. It's just long term. I, d- I don't want to see the Spurs invest too much money in a guy who is definitely over the hi- over the hill in terms of his career. Um, like I'm, I would I would much rather see them overpay for uh, retaining their young core. Um, so I I think if he does opt in, like. I would rather the Spurs run it out next year because I saw somebody ask, what could they get in the sign and trade? Uh, I don't think very much. Um, I don't think his trade value is super high. Yeah. I don't, um, I, don't I mean, I, I agree. I, I don't know exactly. I mean, I'm sure they can get a piece, nothing that's going to be transformative. What, whatever gonna... piece you get back is not going to be the caliber of player that DeMar DeRozan is. Still. Exactly. Yes. Um, and I think he, I think if you, if you, Ride it out with this one year, um, you know, he can still contribute and act as sort of that bridge. Um, so we should talk about LaMarcus now then, yeah? Yeah, and um, LaMarcus, you could pull up his stats and provide that. Um, I'll just speak off of what I remember pre-bubble. Um, yeah. And that is LaMarcus was best when he was playing in the perimeter. And if LaMarcus 100%. is going to be a part of the future for San Antonio, he needs to live as a perimeter player. And you said it before, if he has a mouse in the house, go and enjoy your time. But the days of dumping it down to LaMarcus and having him back down a defender are over. They have over. to be over. That, the, it's just not good basketball anymore. I mean, you know, uh, Rick Carlisle mentioned it with KP when they were like, why don't you have Porzingis in the post? And, you know, Carlisle's like, well, it's not a good basketball play anymore. It's just, right. and, and it's not. Now, I, I do agree that, like, you know, if you, if you have, um, you know, way undersized, just throw it down there and get the two points. Like, I'm not that stubborn. But, um, oh, cool, Lonnie's about to get hot. Um, he just hit back-to-back threes. So, oh, nice. Um, I he heard us I talking this, about how he needs to be more consistent in his outside yeah, shot. Yeah, I, I, Lonnie has a little bit of a dog in him in the fourth quarter. He does get in those. He's like yeah. a he's like in beer pong. You get like heating up. Um, right. He lives but, for big moments for sure. Yeah. Um. But yeah, with Lamarcus, if he lives on the perimeter and like you know that's how he would play with Jakob is that Jakob can still play. Um you know, that role of, of getting rebounds in the post. And you can tell LaMarcus, hey, you know, play, you know, use your size to your advantage. He's not going to be great around guarding the perimeter. Um, but you can maybe figure out some sort of defensive system um, with LaMarcus and Jakob if you put DeJounte and Derek up there um, at top. Maybe that means LaMarcus comes off the bench. I don't know. I don't know what that looks like. But all yeah. I know is that seven-footers who can hit three-pointers don't grow off trees. And if he can, you know, kind of transform his game into a Porzingis, Brook Lopez-esque style, he provides value. He does. Yeah. Um, if he doesn't want to do that, and I, I keep seeing him in the post, 
then I, I want him gone. Like that's, I mean, it's like he has to make that cognitive decision. And, and he did, right? Value. I mean, he did that in the season. It was it was a very he, distinct game where he was like, "Oh, I can just take that extra step back and shoot three pointers, and that's cool." Uh, yeah. He shot when he started shooting a higher volume. Uh, it was December and January. He shot like forty five percent from three in those months. Yeah. Not nearly as well in February and March. He was dealing with injury, but uh, you know, he he's. I don't think he's too old for his three-point shot to improve. I mean, he's a born shooter. Like, he's a, he's a guy who is one of the most pure shooting big men in the game today. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want to pair a type of, some type of big man with a young core that is really, really good at driving and kicking and running pick and roll, you want to do that with the best pick and pop big you can. And LaMarcus Aldridge is that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think it's definitely one more year on uh, running him back with DeMar and LaMarcus Aldridge. And I don't think it's either of their faults the way this year went. Um, this, you know, it, I think it came down to the players around them. And yeah. in the bubble, we've seen what players work well uh out of this group so uh in this in this last couple minutes here uh before we go into this post game uh guys i'm i'm curious to see what you got oh is that jackson floyd wants to join in hey jackson you gotta wait five seconds to the countdown Jackson, are you there? Can you I'm hear here. Can you hear me? Am I coming oh in through? Oh my gosh, he's here. Yeah. Long time listener, first time caller. Doing great. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's, you've been a, an especially long time listener if you've been listening to this whole episode. Yeah. You got greens. <laughs> you know, it's just uh, the, the luck of the draw there. Uh, yeah, yeah, you guys, loving what you guys are saying and everything you're breaking down here. I, I, I just want to say, uh, the last two weeks is probably the most fun I've had watching the Spurs since the beautiful game Spurs. Oh, it's um, been so much fun. Just running and gunning with the, the young guys, um, watching them try to find new ways to do things. The ball movement was great. The three-point shooting was great. Um, just, just, yeah, this, is, this was fun. Um, I, I don't know if I would have enjoyed it more if there were no playoff stakes on the line, you know, if we were yeah. just watching the development happen uh, without having to worry about percentage points and play in games, but still just, just a blast. I can tell you having watched the development in Austin, this is more fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and Austin is great fun too. If you ever make it up to a game at the HEB center up there. Um, and it is really awesome to see these young guys. Cause I've, I've gotten an opportunity to see a large chunk of this uh, Spurs, Spurs team play in Austin uh, yeah. and, and sort of grow up basketball wise. So it's, it's really like, like my, my first thing that I did as a journalist that was journalisty was the NBA draft in 2016 with DeJounte Murray. Uh, and so, so I've, I've sort of been watching this, uh, this youth movement really closely. And it's, uh, this is the most optimistic I have felt about it in a, in a while. And this is the most we've seen from them sort of by definition. So, it's it's been really really cool. Uh, with this with this last uh, you know four minutes or so in the Spurs game, 
what are some things that you guys want to want to hear from the players and from Pop about this season? Uh, definitely drop your comments, and if you're nice and smart, we might ask them. Uh, but I mean, I think the biggest thing for me, uh, you know, might might annoy Pop for a little bit, but I I would like to ask him if he has any. Uh, thoughts looking back in hindsight about the decisions he made with the lineup and the rotation. Um, you know, just given the, the early success of Keldon Johnson um, and the, the growth of Derek White here. Um, you know, Derek White played more certainly in the regular season, but he, he wasn't given this role in the screen light. Um, so so I, I want to know sort of what his postmortem is of what happened this season um, in terms of his own coaching performance from that respect. Yeah. Uh, and I also, I think I saw someone ask her about uh, Spurs draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, one positive of the Suns going eight. No was uh, the Spurs actually uh, move up into a position to get the 10th spot now. So that uh, increases their odds to get a top four pick or a top three pick, I should say, as the Spurs are kind of falling apart here with their comeback effort. Um, so, you know, we'll do a whole draft sort of breakdown uh, at some point in the future when we get closer to it. Lonnie is doing I don't know what in traffic. Um, and... Um, yeah, this team kind of fell apart. But with the with the draft, we will be able to delve into prospects. I was able to speak with Sam Fasini of The Athletic earlier in the pandemic um, when the draft was supposed to be closer. Um, right. And talk about a bunch of prospects. There are some names that are at the top of my list. Uh, I know every Spurs fan this side of the Mississippi wants Denny – um, and I understand those reasons for sure. Um, he's certainly a name which uh, is, is on the big board. Uh, Devin Vassell out of Florida State. I love Killian Hayes, the, the, the point guard out of Germany. Um, we got but, time for draft stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, I mean, I will say with any of those names you just mentioned, it's exciting to know that this young squad is going to be bolstered by one more young guy, you know? That's just it's it's a good draft pick. Yeah. yeah. To, uh, to expect them to go down to Austin for like, – everyone's like, oh, they should be an impact player next year. And it's like, I don't know. They'll probably head down to Austin, and then they'll make their way up to the big club at some point. Yeah. Yeah. If, if recent history is any indication, yeah. uh, the, the road to – to meaningful minutes in San Antonio is I-35 and there's traffic. Uh, but yeah, with, with that, I think we'll probably wrap this show, show up here pretty yeah. soon. Hey, uh, Tom, I just want to throw, I just want to throw it out there that like, I'm sure we're not going to get a, a straight answer from pop, but um, you, you wonder how many more seasons he has left. Yeah. Right. I don't want to ask him that. I'm going to let somebody else ask him that. I want to hear from Pop and the players how the conversation continues around systemic racism in the country. Uh, this was such a platform for them to speak, and they were forthcoming 
with their views, their opinions, what they had to say, what's next, you know, they're, they're going to lose that platform. You know, there's going to be less reporters asking them questions now that the season's ending. Um, I, I'd like to hear how they're going to continue the, can continue the important conversation they're having throughout this whole bubble run. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, a wonderful point. And, you know, this is, this is the shot clock buzzer for a lot of those guys. So did I ask any, uh, I've certainly got a question for DeMar DeRozan. I I asked Pop earlier in the day uh, what he thought about the uh, San Antonio City Council uh, considering a a resolution to declare racism racism a public health crisis. Uh, He gave a really interesting answer on that. And uh, DeMar, his focus on mental health, I'd I'd certainly be interested to hear what he has to say about that. So, uh, you know, this, it's a, what a season, guys. I mean, certainly none like it before. Hopefully none like it ever again. Uh, but but what a historic NBA and Spurs season we have just uh, witnessed the end of. Uh, it's been crazy, and it's been, uh, it's been fun covering it with you two and covering it for all of you out there watching. Uh, it's, it's been, a, been a lot of throwing pain. Um, and I think that's the thing that Pop and these guys and Spurs fans are going to be holding on to going into next season. Um, and I'll, I'll answer one last question I see in there. Yeah, I think, I think they can make the playoffs next season. They're coming. 22, 22 more years, right? 20, yeah. Yeah. We'll, they just we'll need, they need to take a breather. They need to take They'll a break it again. 23. Yeah. All right. Well, it's been lovely hanging out with you guys. Uh, we're going to go jo- jump in the shark cage with pop, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's been awesome hanging out, sharing our collective pain and collective optimism for the future. Uh, love you guys. We'll see you later. This has been uh, the not so fun, big fun end of the season <laughs> show. Uh, and that's, that's a wrap for 2020 guys, which we could say that with uh, non-basketball things. Hey, Not we'll, uh, we'll, We'll be back sooner than you think because of uh, the shifting of schedules. So, oh yeah, yeah, we're not going away in the in the mm-hmm. off season. We'll we'll be here. We'll be putting in work. I want to do a, a a very detailed post mortem, split the corpse open on uh, some of these awful Spurs losses this year. It wasn't just the Sixers loss. Oh, uh, we didn't uh, even we didn't even get into that. Yeah, yeah, we we've got a whole new show. You, you can look. We yeah, didn't get to that in the three Twitter hours or whatever for, we just did. We. We we did tweet out our games the Spurs should have won and should have lost. So right, we'll 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 discuss that at a later point in time. Yeah, but keep good, your eyes peeled for the uh, the big fun autopsy. Right. Yes. Big, absolutely. Oh, there's Dejounte in transition, giving the ball up. Bring your own uh, bone saw. All right. <laughs> See you guys. Jeez. <laughs>